you this morning. My name is Brian White. I'm so glad you're here, especially on uh, Daylight Savings. I, um, this never happens, but my alarm actually woke me up this morning. I, just, I usually get up before that, and I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. A um, couple announcements. Hey, uh, Trevor Owen is in Africa, Pastor Trevor, and like Jeremy said, you know, missions, international work is so important to what we do. And I really want to uh, thank you for supporting our youth. This is an important part in our youth ministry to be able to go to Honduras. Um, I don't know at this point how many times I've gone over the years. I've gone with, I think, every single uh, youth trip since I've been here, except for one. There was one, uh, we had a family emergency. I wasn't able to go. But just watching what this trip does to our young people is, is really an amazing thing. And I just thank you so much for supporting them. Also, I do have an announcement, um, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing, but it's, it's one of those uh, that it's going to kind of come at a cost, but it's okay, because it is a blessing. Um, Nicole Jansen, who has been our ministry com- um, coordinator, her husband Damon, who is a local police officer, um, he, he got a promotion and his, his whole schedule shifted. And so she's going to go off staff. Uh, they are going to start a special ministry with uh, young families, uh, especially the, the parents of, of our youth families uh, here pretty quick. And I just want to celebrate with her. She's been such a gift for our community, but she does have a couple kids at home. And we do understand this. So she's trying to fit her her schedule, especially with, with Damon and then with the kids to be able to, to be with them. They're very, very active uh, in a variety of ministries. They'll continue to be, and we really just celebrate what God has done in and through her in our church, but also what God is continuing to call her into. And so she's back there. She wouldn't come up, but let's give her a round of applause. Damon and and Colin, who is uh, their son and actually uh, is on staff here, he helps with a variety of tech things. And they're down in, I think, Arizona camping right now. And so I'm sure they're, they're pausing their camping trip to see us online. <laughs> also, um, we do, we're going through the Gospel of Mark for Lent. We're, we're um, asking all of our congregation family to read through Mark uh, this Lent as we prepare for Easter. And we do have several people who put together a study guide. Uh, Val Feth, who is also worships online, uh, Maria Gutierrez and uh, Aaron Pickett. Uh, they are putting together a study guide that you can find on our website, uh, a variety of places. And it's just helping you to, to guide through. I'm trying to give us the big picture of what to look at through Mark. But particularly, we're keeping an eye on the disciples, the uh, story of the disciples as we work through Mark, uh, there's so much. And, and last week, we came to a section that kind of focused on a parable that Jesus told about a farmer who sowed various uh, seed into various soil. If you remember, there was a, some seed fell on the path, some peel, uh, seed fell on the rocky ground, the thorns, um, but some fell in good soil. And the point that we saw in that entire section, it was just filled with examples of the various soil that Jesus was sowing, the the seeds of the kingdom, and some seed, it didn't take at all. Some seed seems to have started well. We're going to see what happens with that. But I want to keep 
going with that, that um, eye on that parable as we move into this next section. We're going to look at basically chapters 6 through uh, most of 8 today. And we're going to start with Mark 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. He called the twelve, began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them, take nothing for the journey except for a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, to not put on two tunics. And he said, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed all that, that all should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. So Jesus sends the twelve out to do what they've seen him do. They've been following around, and I think it's really important. This is kind of what, what we base our spiritual formation on as a church. Um, they have not graduated disciple school yet. I think it's really, really critical because sometimes we think, well, I'm not ready for this. But, you know, they've, they've been journeying with him. They've been doing, uh, following him, seeing what Jesus does. And then at one point, he just sends them out. And he's going to bring them back so that they can debrief this, the experience. And I think that's really important in a little while. But it's important for us to hear, I think, that Jesus expects the seed that they're going to sow is not all going to fall in good soil. Right? He tells them what to do if that happens. Just shake the dust off and just move on. And that makes sense because they're, they're really specifically sent by Jesus here to go to do two things. To call people to repent, which means, and we've talked about that, that's just to turn back to God. They've been going uh, away from God. They're supposed to repent is when you, you turn. It's the uh, verb shuv in Hebrew. It just simply means to turn. So they're supposed to turn to God. And then they're also supposed to cast out demons. And you know, people don't like to hear that they need to change their ways. And evil does not like to be called out. And so they're going to experience opposition. And we're, we're going to see exactly how serious this type of ministry is in the very next scene. Uh, and, and, and I think it's fascinating what Mark does here. And it's King Herod... And he's, he has a birthday party for himself, kind of like Jeremy up there, Brad Pitt. That was hilarious. But at this party, that King Herod's daughter dances for him at this party. And Mark says he's so pleased with what happens that he tells her, whatever you want, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. What do you want? And I'm not going to go into details there, but I, there is a certain degree of yuck that we need to see here, right? Mark is giving us a contrast between two kings, King Herod and King Jesus. So John the Baptist was imprisoned, if you remember, um, because he called King Herod out. And, and he, he called him out for taking his brother's wife as his wife. So, so John said, you cannot be the king of Israel and do something like this. It's just not appropriate. So he was calling Herod to repent, right? And, and just like Jesus has just sent his disciples out to call them to repent, to change their ways. So King Herod, he didn't like that John was calling him out, and, and especially his wife, 
She did not like it. And so he imprisoned John. And if you read this story, it's like his wife sets up her daughter to seduce Herod. Yuck. Let's just all say, yuck. So after the girls danced for him, Herod says, I will give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom, uh, because she pleased him so much. So she goes to her mom, and her mom tells her to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And she gets it. And I think John's death is here to remind us that This is what happens when you call people out. This is what can happen. It's real. It's dangerous. Jesus just sent his disciples out to do the exact same thing. But underneath that, there is a contrast going on. Mark is providing a contrast between King Jesus and King Herod. And they're very different kings. On one side, we have King Herod. He is the false king. He is about lies. He is about deceit. He's the type of person who would take his brother's wife as his own wife. He's the type of person who would get excited by a little girl dancing. His own daughter. To the point that he just promises her half the... That's yuck. He's the type of man who surrounds himself with people like a mother who would use her daughter as a tool to get what she wants. And he's the type of king who takes lives. He's the type of king who kills. And then we have King Jesus on the other side, the true king. And it's quite a contrast. Where Herod kills, Jesus heals. I mean, we're just coming on the heels. If you remember last week of, of, of uh, the, the bleeding woman, this is how Jesus interacts. He heals. I mean, you remember just that story. You know, Jesus, we find Jesus gives life. He brings life from the dead. Remember Jairus' daughter. Contrast King Jesus and Jairus' daughter to how King Herod behaves with his daughter. Jesus is a king of compassion. He's like a shepherd for a flock, which is the heart of the next story we find in Mark. As it happens, uh, as Jesus' disciples, they come back to tell Jesus about the experience. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said, come away to a deserted place, but all by yourselves, and let's take a rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat in a deserted place. We talked about that last week, by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came and said, this is a deserted place, the hour is late. Send them away so that we may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for ourselves to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. 
And they said, are we going to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. They found out, they said, five and two fish. And he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And he blessed and he broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and all ate and they were all filled and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish and those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Now this is still part of Mark's contrast of these two kings. Did you hear verse 34? He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we don't have time to look in all the passages, but there's tons in the Old Testament that talks about Israel's king being a shepherd. I mean, they're all over the Old Testament. And the point is, these people, they thought they had a king, King Herod. But he just left them hungry and leaderless. Like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the real king. He has compassion for them. He feeds them. Jesus provides food from heaven. Do you remember in Exodus, the manna that came from heaven? Manna was like this bread-like thing that God provided for them when they were in the wilderness. Or at least it was kind of like bread. In Hebrew, I always think this is funny, Hebrew, manna literally means, what is it? Just fall down. What is it? I don't know. So often we read the feeding of the 5,000 as a miracle story, and, and it is, and it says 5,000 men, so it's probably like, you know, 10 or 15, nobody knows uh, how many there were that day. But the story is a miracle. But I think even more important, the story is a sign that Jesus is the true king, and Herod is the false king. But did you notice what Jesus' disciples, who just came back from their kingdom work, what, what they said in here, they said, Jesus, just send them all away. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. I love this quote, uh, Bob Tannehill, who was actually one of my professors, and I think a couple of our groups are reading a book by him right now. Bob wrote, Jesus places the responsibility on the disciples while the disciples' solution removed them from responsibility. Kind of how we work. The disciples are starting to look like the seed that was sown on the rocky ground here. But when they are weak, he is strong. So Jesus enables the disciples to feed them. It's, it's a beautiful story. Just like the last meal he's going to share. You know, the night that they betray him, Jesus takes food. What? And he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples to give to others the body of Christ broken for the world. And then there's 12 basketful left over, one for every single disciple. They're taken care of. But I think we still struggle with this as disciples because we, we always, we never think there's going to be enough. But God takes care. 
So Jesus sends the disciples in a boat to get ahead of him. We talked about that a couple weeks ago if you were here. But, you know, he stays and he said his goodbyes and then he sends the people away and then he goes up a mountain to pray. Mark writes, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on land. And when he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came toward them early in the morning walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened, Mark says. This is another sign. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. The Old Testament, Yahweh calms the sea. I mean, all of Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, it's, it's all about Yahweh calming the chaos of the sea. The sea represented chaos for the ancient Hebrews. And in Jesus, God is calming the sea. Over and over, the disciples are getting glimpses into who Jesus really is. But they just keep missing it. I mean, they're terrified. They think he's a ghost. Jesus says, do not fear. I am. In, 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 in Greek, that's ego me. In Hebrew, that's Yahweh. This is God's name. I am. Do not be afraid. They're getting a glimpse into who Jesus really is. This is the embodiment of Israel's God. And he's calming the sea. And the winds stopped, but Mark says they didn't understand the loaves. They didn't get the sign. And their hearts are hardened, kind of like Pharaoh. They don't see the truth. They can't hear the truth. The disciples... They're not just afraid of the storm. It says here they're actually afraid of Jesus. They think he's a ghost. They can't even recognize him. Between all of these stories in Mark, they're contrasts of how the kingdom seed is, is falling on, on good soil as well. I mean, there's rocky, there's the path. But some people actually recognize him and they see what God is doing. Listen to the next verses. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him. And they rushed about the whole region and began to bring the sick to, on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him that they might even touch the fringe of his coat. And all who touched it were healed. Mark is sowing seeds here. These are kingdom stories. And they all tell us who Jesus really is. Some seed falls in good soil, thank goodness. Some seed doesn't. Doesn't even start. But some, they seem to start so well, like the disciples, right? But the disciples are starting wither. But what about, what kind of soil are we? I mean, every single day, every moment, we're surrounded by God's work. Do we recognize it? Do we just stop, pause, and, and do we realize 
God is here. God is present. God is at work. Can we hear His call when He sends out His disciples? Or at least He wants to send us out to do His work. I think so often we just completely miss the boat, which is what the next chapter is all about. Uh, And he's going to start a new theme, Mark, in chapter 7, and it's about purity. And and there's a lot going on. We're going to skip a lot of it, but but I want to get a couple things because I think it's really interesting. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of the disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. They look like Brad Pitt. (laughs) For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there also were many other traditions that they observed, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and you hold to human tradition. I'm going to skip some stuff and bump down to verse 14. Then he called the crowd and he said, listen to me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that you're going to defile. But things that come out are what defile. And we left the crowd, entered the house. His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then do you fail to understand? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile? Since it enters not the heart, but the stomach and goes into the sewer. And then Mark has this footnote. He he leaves story time and, and he says us as the omniscient narrator. I think this is really, really fascinating. Mark says to you, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it's what comes out of a person that defiles. It is from within, from the human heart, the evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Sounds so like Paul, right? The Pharisees and the scribes, they see that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their hands, or at least they aren't washing their hands right. It doesn't mean they weren't washing their hands, but they weren't washing according to the tradition of the elders. And there's a lot behind this. And it, it seems like it's nothing, but it's, it's huge. Going back to Moses, there were a lot of laws, and they had to deal with health and sanitation. And the point was, you get a ton of people all living in close proximity. They want to be healthy. They don't want disease. And so they came up with all kinds of things like a hand-washing ceremony. It was meant to keep, keep people from spreading disease. But they forgot the reason behind the law. And the complaint of the Pharisees, it's not your disciples aren't washing their hands to stay clean. The Pharisees' complaint to Jesus is, your disciples aren't washing their hands in the tradition of the elders. Because they lost the intent of the law. It was about purity. It was about cleanliness. They lost the sight of the intent. God was concerned about his children. 
they shifted the focus from purity to tradition. And Jesus just comes unglued. I mean, he really he calls them hypocrites, right? And he says, you're missing the heart of the matter. And he says, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's your behavior. It's your actions. And, and to make sure we get there, like I said, Mark says in 17.9b, he says, thus he declares all foods clean. Here's the point. That does not sound radical to us. I mean, we can go down to, you know, yoke somebody, whatever we want. But Jesus could not have said anything more revolutionary than this. Their ancestors chose death because they refused to break these food laws. They became martyrs over this issue. I mean, we saw that in the last series in Daniel, right? And now Jesus is saying, evil isn't anything about what goes in, it's what comes out. It's what comes out of the human heart. The kingdom of God is not just Jesus going around and healing people. He's teaching there is a new way to be God's children. He's talking about a cure for the disease of the human heart. But the ones he calls to go out and proclaim this, they don't get it. The disciples, they're lost. It's like they just can't hear Jesus' message. The kingdom, it's opening up all around them, but they just can't see it. They're blind. Mark 7.31, Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went by the way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee and the region of Decapolis. He brought to him a deaf man with an impediment of speech. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And he took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, spat, touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said, Ephapha, which means be opened. And immediately his ears were open, his tongue was released, he spoke plainly. And Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered, the more zealously they proclaimed. They were astounded beyond measure and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So the deaf man has a speech impediment. That was, that was kind of the norm back then because they, they didn't really develop their speech properly because they couldn't hear. So Jesus takes him aside in private and he puts his fingers to his ears and in Aramaic is the point. He says, Epaphra, which means be opened. That is Mark's gospel in one word. Be opened. Be opened. Mark's gospel is all about opening up. If you have ears to hear, if you have eyes to see, it's all hidden in plain sight. God's kingdom, it's here. Everything about Jesus, from the moment the heavens tore apart and the Spirit descended upon him as a dove and the Father's voice Proclaim, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It's all been about the kingdom opening up. But his disciples have deaf ears and blind eyes to it. Mark chapter 8. In those days, there was again a great crowd without anything to eat. He calls the disciples, said to them, I have compassion for the crowd. Because they've been with me now for three days. Have nothing to eat. 
If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. Some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples replied, how can one feed these people with the bread here in the desert? And he asked, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took seven loaves. And he, giving thanks, he broke them, gave the disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They had a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate, were filled, they took up the broken pieces, left seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000, and he sent them all away. Like I said, the stories of Jesus feeding the crowds, it's all about Jesus' compassion. The king who has compassion for his people. And they all culminate in the Last Supper. I mean, they're all building up to that. And I hope we get that. The trial, the passion, everything, the crucifixion. The story of Jesus' passion is the story of his compassion. The feeding in the desert, hanging on the cross. It's, it's all about meeting the needs of others. But the failure of the disciples, it's becoming more and more obvious, right? How can we feed these people, Jesus? We, we can give them a pass the first time, but I mean, you know, the second time, how many loaves do you have, Jesus says. And guess what happens four verses later? The disciples have forgotten to bring any bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they said to one another, it's because we have no bread. And becoming aware, Jesus said, why are you talking about having no bread? You can hear him. Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears fail to hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you collect? You see, they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000. How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you collect? And they said, seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Yeast and leaven were really important. To the Jews, it went back to the Passover, uh, the night that God saved the Hebrews from death. God told Moses, tell the people, you have to go on a call, don't even wait for your bread to rise. So to this day, centuries, centuries, centuries later, that's a huge part of the Passover celebration, the unleavened bread. A little yeast makes big changes, right? I'm not even a cook and I know that. Adding leaven softens something. So the Pharisees, the Herodians, they had their own kingdom agendas. Jesus is saying they changed God's kingdom plans. They added to his plans. They softened his plans. Pharisees thought if everybody just keeps the law, the Messiah is going to come. I mean, just everybody at one point, we get everybody to just follow the Torah, then the Messiah will be here. The Herodians, which is different than Herod, the Herodians, they believed if, if we just build a better temple, God's going to come and dwell among us again. And that was not the current king, Herod Antipas. Nobody thought he was going to do this. But they, they, they actually did believe the, the line of Herod, the house of Herod, this is going to happen. We're going to complete the temple. God's going to dwell among us. And Jesus is saying, no, you're both wrong. They changed, they changed God's kingdom plans 
They softened it. And they added to it. The kingdom is here, right now. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the true temple. These are seeds that are being sown on the path, but the birds are eating it up. They're blind to what God's doing right in front of them. And the disciples, they they can't hear a word of what Jesus is really saying. They, They think He's talking about bread. And He tries to explain, but they don't get it. It's like they just, whatever he says, he just, they can't hear. And they don't see. He says to them, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many you had? How many basketfuls? Twelve, one for each of you. When I, when I broke the, fed the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you get? Seven, one for every single day of the week, right? I mean, you, you're not understanding there's a new creation going on. Underneath all of this, Mark is screaming to us, to you and to me, would you please get this? Someone please understand. God is in Christ right here. Please. Can't you see the kingdom is breaking through right now? I'm sowing the seeds to you. What type of soil are you going to be? One more story in this section. And guess what it's about? They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him. Begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out to the village, put saliva in his eyes, laid his hands on him, and he asked, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and looked intently. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home saying, don't even go into the village. Now we can read here into the blindness of the disciples. But we can also read here the power of Jesus to overcome blindness. That is the only hope for disciples then and now, for us. Jesus' power was able to heal the the deaf man in chapter 7 and the blind man in chapter 8. The blindness, the deafness of the disciples, it doesn't have to be that way, is what Mark's telling us. The healings in this chapter, they're here to say, it's possible You can be good soil. Ultimately, Jesus is going to open the disciples' eyes and their ears, but it's going to take coming back from the dead to do it, right? But he has the power. The question for us today is, the kingdom is all around. It is opened up. It is here. But can we see? Can we hear? Do we not understand? Every moment, every day, God is present. In every season of life, the, 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 the days of health, the days of suffering, the days of loss, the days of grief, the days of joy. God is present. The line between heaven and earth is so thin. And Jesus is the place, the temple where heaven and earth meet. 
And even in our blindness, and even in our deafness, Christ can heal. Can you hear it? You pray with me. Lord, I thank you on this day for your grace which extends and pursues. Lord, please shower us with that grace. Heal our blindness. Help us to hear. And help us to realize the God who dwells among us is here. In your son's name we pray. Amen.